Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. And if you just read you, this is a test transmission. It opens a new and, I think, exciting chapter in the story of radio. This is going to be a service to provide a tremendous amount of information and satisfy a lot of different interests. I was always itching to shake it during a program. In the air, on the river and underground. We hope very much that uh, Derek can hear us. Can you hear us? From Resonance 104.4 and Social Broadcast, this is the Transmitter Radio Hour from XMTR.FM, a space dedicated to sonic storytelling, original sounds, new voices and archive treasures from radio broadcasts, podcasts and sound art across the globe. I'm Lucia Scadzocchio and I'll be scanning the digital soundscape to cut through the noise. In this next hour, I'll be featuring some works that have been submitted to XMTR.FM over the past 12 months or so, and have really stood out. I'm happily ignoring that this show is aired on the 14th of February, but I will be including some extra love for Resonance FM, as it's their annual fundraiser right now. And if you love what they do, there are lots of ways to donate the bit of much needed cash. The first thing you can do is go to fundraiser.resonance.fm to see all the ways you can support your favourite radio station. Now back to the show. Let's start with something from Limbo Tapes, a radio experiment on Nudes Radio in Bristol that has evolved into the creation of an in-between world navigated and presented by a timeless but strangely familiar sounding radio operator. This first episode from this new podcast series from Limbo Tapes called Limbo Calling, Fear Swim is where a controversial water-based event perplexes our mysterious radio operator. Just yet. 
I can't say the weather out there has improved too much, neither. So, as another lonely winter takes grip of the place, I'll continue to monitor these wretched radio signals as best I can. I suppose they make for good company. Sometimes. Other times I'd probably prefer the company of a lost frog, to be quite honest. I do find some of it a little unsettling. Anyway, as usual, I've been making recordings of what I find along the way. So I'll plumb the ladies through to you now, okay? And you can see for yourself. A hard copy, as always, is available for you here. I've got quite the archive now. All with my own personal notes attached. Should you ever wish to get better acquainted with me or the material. So... What have we got today, I hear you ask? Well, I came across an actual conversation. People talking about some kind of nightmare swimming party. And coincidentally, I also found a piece of music about ugly crocodiles floating on the water. Oh, one more thing, HQ. If you do feel like getting in touch again, it'd be nice to hear from you. Let's get rolling. I'll catch up with you in due course. Leonard, press play. We will be familiar with Fear Swim, one of the longest standing events here in Limbo. <laughs> And to celebrate the centenary of the event, we've got none other than Shirley Eelsworth, who is the founder and promoter for Fear Swim. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Um, it's actually Shirley Ellsworth, although it is spelt Eelsworth, so that's a common mistake. Ellsworth. Doubly. Doubly Ellsworth. Shirley has always been your first name? From the very beginning. Talking of beginnings, tell me, how on earth did you first manage to get permission from anyone to do Fear Swim? Well, it took a lot of people to petition the council and the local swimming buffs to have us. A lot of those people are just me, because there wasn't a lot of support in the early days. But as you know, it's become quite a busy event when we get to do them. There's a lot of health and safety issues around Fear Swim, so... People are forced to sign quite strict waivers about their mental and physical well-being. I've seen the queues um, on several occasions and... The queues to get in or the queues to get out? Well, the, no, the queues to get in, I've just noticed there's a lot of people waiting there and being there's someone very stern with a clipboard haranguing everyone. Our, we've got our own clipboards now, that's right. Um, can you explain to any new listeners or people out there that aren't familiar what... Fear Swim is, or maybe what it isn't. It's up to you just how you feel best to let the new people in. Uh, so, Fear Swim is a pop up event at various swimming baths in the southwest. And the idea is that you climb into a swimming pool, which is normally a friendly, safe, well lit environment. Um, and what we do is switch all the lights off and try to make it as frightening as possible. So, essentially, people are swimming around in the dark. There's ominous 
music playing. We often um, hide speakers in the deep end to sort of recreate the sound of large Jurassic period sea mammals. We've been lucky enough to work with a few lifeguards who have a keen interest in the occult. So quite often there are, how do, how do we say it? The lifeguards are performing rituals as you swim. A really great time last month when uh, one of the lifeguards managed to actually summon an entity of some kind. It really put the willies up a lot of the swimmers. Were we talking like a water demon? I don't know. It was like an endless lace work of spiders turning inside out. Some the queue on the way out. Yeah, often the queue to get out is longer than the queue to get in. But that's a sign of popularity, surely, and, and I'm sure you, you're all very happy with that. Yeah, I mean, people are only trying to leave because they are frightened, uh, which is the whole point of the thing. We want people to, to leave wet and terrified. And our tagline is, scare yourself dry. Because by the time they've stopped being scared, they're probably dry. They're probably dry and they've probably run quite a long distance. I've heard quite a lot of people in the queue on the way out saying things in quite shaky tones. What the hell was that in the deep end? Why can't I swim anymore? Where's my towel? Are you... Is this, again, things that are being summoned, or is there some sort of staffing involvement to give a sort of more hands-on experience? No, I mean, the whole experience, other than the summoning of demons, the whole experience is a psychological trick, essentially. We just like to create an environment where you can imagine your worst nightmares happening whilst you're in a very vulnerable position in the deep end of the swimming pool. It's a real achievement in, um, on the entertainment circuit. I, I guess that's why the queues... Are quite so. We think people are just fed up of enjoying themselves on an evening out. And what we try to provide is um, a situation where um, they are more frightened than they've ever been in their entire life. Do you find people come back? Do you have regulars? No. No. It's intriguing, isn't it? It's fear swim, skate yourself dry, <clears throat> pop-up events at a swimming pool. It's the sort of trendy thing that people are really keen to try out. <clears throat> they don't tend to come back um, because they've been scared out of their wits. But that is the whole point. So I feel like we've succeeded and the business model is sound. How is it that you, you're going about promoting fear swim? Rumours of bodies floating through the harbour and down the river is, is that still a, is that is that true is that still a technique if not how are you getting the word out there it wasn't a real body it, it had nothing to do with the fear swim organization it's irresponsible and cruel over enthusiastic fan of fear swim um who's taken it upon themselves to do things like float a fake dead body um down the river with a fierce after attached releasing eels and uh, uh, oh, several octopuses. Octopi. Several octopuses. Octopuses? Octopi. A gaggle of octopi. Nothing to do with the fierce swim team. I mean, I personally was, I was in the water at the time. You know, we were playing Avon Terracore and I had a smashing time uh, with the octopus. We had a fantastic time. I was terrified. Are you the only regular at Fear Swim? Often, it's just me. Scaring yourself dry every every time? Well, the organisation has to up their game each month 
in order to scare me dry because my fear. I mean, imagine if the amount of fear your body can produce sort of fills a bucket. Each time I attend a fear swim, my bucket gets slightly larger. How long are you in the pool for? How long are you in the water? And how much time would you spend in the deep end until you feel satisfaction? Uh, it, it was my record, um, and it was nine minutes. You really are going for the for the short, sharp terror experience. I mean, it's cold, it's dark. There, there's a man casting a spell wearing a black robe. Um, things are on fire that shouldn't be. There are rumbling sounds coming from beneath the swimming pool itself. And, as I said somebody keeps letting animals loose in the pool itself, which is completely against everything that Fierce Wim stands for, but it has happened multiple times, and I expect it will keep happening. But we can't search people that intimately. It would be inappropriate and against the law. Of course, and you're coming under enough scrutiny as it is. Yes. If people will insist on um, concealing starfish, cuttlefish... Um, razor fish, razor clams, all these type of things. If they will insist in smuggling them in in their gym bags, scorpion fish in the hair, navy trained beluga whale in their trousers. But there's not a lot we can do about it. God knows how they got the baby crocodiles in. It's wow. beyond our control. You must take it as a compliment that these people are wanting to contribute so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, we we do, we do. We love we love those guys, but from a legal standpoint, we have to condemn their behaviour. That's all I will say. So, I mean, there must be quite a lot of listeners who are absolutely raring to get their gym bags full of their favourite swimmies and get down to the get down to where. I mean, what's how can people look out for where? Is it a bit like a free party? You just got, is there a, is there a phone number? How, how do people find out? What's what's your next venue? What you need to do to find out is to catch as many buses to the outskirts as possible. And at some point, pull up alongside and through the window of the top, the will fill the entire bus with krill. And that is a sign that a new Fierce Swim event is happening. Um, we have done posters. Um, but people seem to think that it wasn't a real event. So we found that filling a bus and krill, krill's a bit cheaper, it works better, it makes a splash. People know about it, they hear about it. You know, keep your eye on the 48 and 49. You heard it here first. Maybe the 24. So if anyone is interested, um, those are the bus routes. Those are the bus routes to keep your eye on. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to tell you when it's going to happen. Tell your friends, cover as many bases as you can. Maybe pick a bus each if you've got enough friends. If you cover the whole day, for example, then um, you stand a good chance. Well, Shirley, it's been brilliant to talk to you and, and no doubt we'll have you on again to maybe answer some more listener questions if, if you'd be happy to do that. Great. Thank you very much for having me and don't call me Shirley. Would you like to listen to uncategorized music at your local public swimming baths? Yes. Whilst receiving the fear of a lifetime? No. Perhaps you wish to experience the thrill of shadows in the deep end. Fear swim. <laughs> Scare yourself dry.
want your reckonage, kid. If I see ya swinging by and taking old Leonard and I for a swim one night. Eh? Unless, of course, you're, uh, too afraid. Are you? <laughs> anyway, here's one of those new coloring in songs. I think it's one of those ones you have to bring your own pictures. It's about an ugly crocodile.
<laughs> you old dog. I think old Len's got the hots for his own crocodile. I also think calling her ugly is a stretch. After all, beauty is in the eyes or the ears of the beholder, is it not? Although it can be unbearable, it can drive one to despair. That's everything for now, HQ. Like I said, I'm holding onto the tapes with notes attached in case you or any of your associates want to know more. Anyway, we'll check in again in a few weeks. See what else we can fish out of the noise in the meantime. And thank you for your time, HQ. Until next time. Over and out. Right then, Leonard. Last one to draw a scorpion fish goes to check the generator. No, no, you know the rules. I don't want to repeat the last time. Come on. Do it properly. Color it in right to the edges. Jump. Off we go. That was the first episode of London Calling from Bristol-based Limbo Tapes, produced by Pete Hazel, with contributions from Sean Lee and Karen Dews. Please Mr Crocodile is by Titus 12, for a change of pace and mood, with a piece by Berlin-based photographer and audio storyteller Miri Berlin. This sound composition combines field recordings with composed sounds as we follow a journey from intensive care to crematorium through this visceral and haunting composition, Requiem for a Mother.
That was Requiem for a Mother by Mary Berlin, who, although is relatively new on the audio storytelling scene, received a Fenergia Nova Prize last year and currently has work featured at the Sonor Radio and Podcast Festival in Bern next week. As any musician and audio maker will know, the key to sound is silence. In this next piece, London-based musician and sound engineer Ivan Eastley explores the concept of silence, the enemy of radio. Is it uncomfortable? What is the silence saying? Silence. How does silence make you feel? Sit yourself in a quiet room for a few minutes. Slow your breathing down and really listen. You'll probably find that silence is loud. Silence is what follows when you say the wrong thing at the wrong time to the wrong person. Silence is an audience listening intently. Silence is when the dog stops barking. Silence is when the traffic stops and you can hear the birds sing. Silence comes when guns stop firing. Silence comes after a bomb. Silence is the sound of my bloodstream in my ears. I fill up my silence with thoughts and I struggle to keep silent. Absolute silence is death. No wonder they say it's peaceful. A lot of us might not be used to sitting quietly, just listening. So once we get out of our own way, 
out of our thoughts, we can really hear. Silence is a state of no consciousness. If we perceive we are alive, however tiny the event. Perhaps that is why I strive to find meanings, especially through sounds and movements, that operate on the threshold of perception, of an elusive dreamlike world, which for me is the most vital and closest to the state of life itself. Even in space, you'd struggle to find silence. Planets and stars singing, a chorus of radio waves. So when you're interviewing people, a trick that you're told a lot is to be silent, to leave space for the other person to to answer and to, even if they give a short answer, to keep answering because that's when you get the good stuff, the revelatory stuff. And... I want to be a good interviewer, but I'm not very good at leaving silence. And so every time without fail, I have to, when I do that, count in my head. I have to count. Five, four, three, two, one. Because I can't, I can't just sit in silence. I can't, I think it's such a powerful thing to be in silence and I'm not comfortable with that, and I can't look at them. Um, I think other people are very naturally good at that, or they don't care, or they just maybe even enjoy it, but I I don't enjoy it. (laughs) I find it really uncomfortable, but I still... I see the value of silence in, in that scenario, so I have to do it. 
So next time you're in a quiet room, just sit and listen for a while. That was Silence by Ivan Eastley. Next, we visit a place where silence is virtually impossible, but it's what we all want, but the body invariably wins. Workplace toilets. You have to use them, but for many, it's a torment. Icelandic, New York-based composer Andrea Christendotter takes the mundane and sprinkles it with mischief in this piece called Peephole. I was actually just having this conversation with someone over the weekend, and I forget who. Bathroom, uh, it's a place where you go... Uh, what is a what is a bathroom? Uh, to... You don't take a bath in it. And then they say a restroom. You don't rest there. Some people call it the loo. You have to use a loo. Some people call it a water closet. Lavatory is the closest word that makes sense because it's got... Well, hmm. La- lava, lavar, to clean. Americans use that to... Do things you don't want to do in op- out in the open in the office. Like peeing and pooping. A room that has a toilet in it. Sometimes I blow my nose in the bathroom. Or a place where you go to cry before it gets too stressful. <laughs> a bathroom is an ending and a beginning. You know, kind of a room that has two out of those three, I think. <clears throat> the bathroom's here. The bathroom's here. You know what? I'm so glad you asked. The bathroom's at did We don't have bathrooms at We have bathrooms in our building that we have access to. To get to them, you just, you walk out of the office front door, you turn to your right. And then you go down this hallway. And then... There's two left turns you can make. The first left turn, there's either the women's bathroom. So I I don't access that. I'll tell you what, it's not my right. It's not um, within my lived experience of acceptance to do something like that. Um, But I have used the... Just um, single-use bathroom. I would say maybe abused it. Absolutely. I would say that I like the... Single-person bathroom. But it smells really weird in there. Either bad or, um, like, like too much smelly product. It's a pooping bathroom, so... And then, uh, if you kept going down the hall, though, there, your second left, that would uh, lead you to the men's room. I've never even been to look at the bathroom where the men go to the bathroom? Um, is it a, a place to um, excrete? Well, is it a place to meet? Next question. You know, is it a sense of community? Is it uh, is it a watering hole, if you will? What is this for? You know, a, a meeting of minds, a, uh, a pool, and a soup bowl of ideas and ideation. But one time, it flooded apparently, and everyone went and looked at it, and I I didn't look at it. That really put a damper on my day. 
I've been to two out of the three. I've only been in two of the three bathrooms. Although I have seen there's a little room in between the front door and the actual bathroom. And so I know that you have a small... Anti-chamber. Small little like holding area that has a couch in it, which... That's just kind of fun. Is really the envy of the whole office. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've e- if you've ever seen a, a group of males talking in the office. We're almost definitely talking about that couch. I've I've seen a couch. Uh, the door crack. Is there a couch in the fucking women's bathroom? Yes. <laughs> Who knows why? <laughs> but we deserve it. Uh. It's a pretty typical office bathroom. Oh well, they're um. Tiled. I would say by and large they are um, well-equipped, well-adjusted, and and well-formatted. Sufficient at best. Unimpressive. They're... Corporate. It's two sinks. The soap. It's plain. It does the job. The soap runs out sometimes. They're, you know, they're a fun place to be. We do have an automatic and a non-automatic hand towel dispenser. They recently installed a proper paper towel dispenser, but before that... That one might just be... Something that bothers me. I've never spoken openly about it before to anyone else. But the paper towel system was insufficient, inefficient, and just not good. It's always just a pile of hand towels sitting above the sink. And then every time you pick one up, it takes more than one and then they fall into the water. But I still find I tend to use the non paper towel dispenser paper towels regardless of having a paper proper paper towel dispenser. Yeah, I'm trying to think what else. After 5 p.m. when the building air gets turned off, they're smelly. Do you agree that that one smells very odd? Sometimes they're smelly uh, during the day. I did, unfortunately, have a, uh, a particularly heinous uh, encounter earlier today. Okay. Um... So I was I was walking to the bathroom as as one is wont to do during a, a day of work, a day of returning on my clients' investments. And I entered into the bathroom and you know there was a particular odor. Um, which I would say is not is not different than, you know, what I expect from a bathroom. But I walked over to the urinals and I saw a sign that said out of order atop one of the urinals. And um, you know, understandably mechanisms don't work but when i looked down i saw a deeply a deeply yellowed orange liquid what i can only imagine being a pool of urine that had been sitting there for an extended amount of time you know an amount of time that i would say is unacceptable and it's been sitting there for way too long you know so long that it had started to develop a stench that really filled the room and and enveloped me personally in a way that I didn't expect and absolutely didn't want. So what was originally a a normal and natural experience and and task I had to do turned into a particularly heinous, some might say violent um, ritual. And you know, I'm still recovering. You know, every day is a journey, but it's it's something that I think that I'm going to carry with me for my uh, for my professional career. Um, so the bathrooms in our office are gross. I feel like sometimes I don't know what they're going to smell like. That's troubling. Like sewer esque, a sewage pipe burst in there, like constant, like a pipe issue. But actually, that's kind of better. Now it's like pretty. It's pretty decent in there. I would say it's pretty standard. Multiple stalls. I believe that there are five stalls. One, two, three. Three stalls. Four or five? Five, maybe. There's either five or six. I think there's four stalls. 
you know, I think with the with the work bathrooms, everyone has their favorite stall. I think about that a lot. I definitely have my favorite stall anyway. So favorite stall is is corner, corner booth. My favorite is the one all the way to the back, probably. Second favorite stall is middle swinging door. I have had incidents with the third stall where the lock has become loose. I I don't know why that is. It's very frightening. (laughs) And you have to push your foot forward and slam the door closed. I usually like to go for an end. I don't really like being in the middle. My most used stall is the last one, the one on the end. It feels like a little bit more private. The lock is slightly more reliable. Uh, why, yes, I do. It happens to be the one next to the peephole. The peephole? Yeah. So, um, the end stall? I would call it the end stall. The, no, there's hopefully not a peephole. The what? I've never heard of the peephole. The people in the bathrooms? Well, they're either people I know or people I don't know. Oh, the peephole. Excuse me? How do you know that there's a peephole? <laughs> hmm. There's no peephole that I know of. I don't know anything about people. No, what, what people? people? Other than what I've heard in rumors. There's a peephole? Like a now? That's, that's... Th- uh, I don't think there's a peephole. Who have you heard talking about the peephole? Well, um, there was some, there was some fuss about the peephole. <sighs> All right, here's the rumor that I heard. I don't know when I first noticed it. Because um, it's like one of those things that maybe it's always been there and I just didn't notice it. Or maybe... It is new. There was another peephole. There was the the original one, which was when... The rumor that I heard was that there was a man in the peephole. The door lock was busted. It seems like... That was one or two days after the company holiday party. Something must have gotten loose. He was peeking through that peephole. Into the bathroom. I do not know of the peephole firsthand. The peephole exists only as whispers and rumors to me, as office gossip. I am led to believe that there is a peephole or peepholes in the ladies' bathroom. I, the information I have is it's someone has taped it up at some point. I know that there is something to do with the couch being moved. Two feet. To the right. And that is perhaps related to the peephole or peepholes. Probably covering something up. Uh, I don't know which hole, which which wall it's in. That's all I gotta say. I actually haven't checked if there's a peephole in the men's, and uh, you know, maybe I should get on that. Where's the peephole? That was Peephole by Andrea Christendotter. And you can hear more from Andrea with a piece she made called Before Route 1 about Iceland's Ring Road and it's full of stories of elves, ghosts and nature made for BBC Radio 3's Between the Ears. And finally, I thought I'd play something from my own archives. This is a social broadcast piece I made for a series called The Cherry Tree Chronicles which was a day in the life of a shopping centre in Liscard um, on the Wirral in Merseyside made for Hunt and Darton's radio local project. It's late afternoon at the Cherry Tree shopping centre and I meet Lewis. This is episode 8 of the Cherry Tree Chronicles. Salt beef and carrots. (laughs) 
Just walking around mainly, getting bits and pieces here and there and, you know, talking to a few people and all that. But you've got a nice little crew here and the butcher. It's a fantastic shop, that butcher shop. Is that where you get all your meat? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All of it. Bob and I, we're very, very good friends. He's a smashing butcher. And he's got a lovely clean shop. And his prices are not extensive, are they? And the weekends, it's, it's like a cross all at Christmas. I get um, uh, silver side, it's a cut of beef, and uh, I pickle it, salt piece of it, submerge it in water, and every day you turn it over, and, you know, but about, depending on the size of your beef, if it's a big piece of beef, it's about uh, 14 days, and then when you got it, you, uh, you cook it with carrots, leek, onions, cloves, Part of mustard, and then you use all that. You take it and put it in a smaller pan. And when you have the beef, you have a helping of all of them vegetables with it. It's been all cooked together in the in the process. Salt beef. It's it's a Jewish uh, recipe. Down in the East End, down a couple of years ago, well they have the uh, salt beef sandwich and a a cake and a pickle on the side. You know, my mean, mother used to do it before me, and then I started. Uh, Oh, let's see, uh, about 20 years ago. The thing is, it is healthy because it's boiled. Well, the old song in the musical song, Boiled Beef and Carrots, yeah. Are you Jewish? Yeah. Is there a Jewish community here? Very little. So how did you end up living in this area? Very simple. I was an East End boy. And uh, I uh, was coming out of Harris one day, 1961 and uh, I, I heard a voice behind me saying we'll ask this gentleman he looks nice so i turned around to see who this gentleman was and it was these two 16 year old girls talking about me and they wanted to learn how to get to somewhere because they were visiting from liverpool so uh, i said also oh, well let me tell you dead easy but it's harder for you to find it after i've told you it's one of them places you know I took them in the car, prepared them, said a friend, school friend. I took them to place and I parked outside of a cinema. I said, now see this cinema. I said, when you're ready to come back in about an hour, an hour and a half. I said, stand outside the cinema as a, as a landmark and I'll pick you up and take you back where I found you. And that was the start of it. And that was uh, 1961. The girlfriend I picked up then was 16 and I was, uh, I was 30. I've been in the Korean War and everything. She died just recently. She shouldn't have gone. It was a hospital mess. And we, we were married for 54 years. And we knew each other for 59. So it must have been right, must It worked right. And she was from here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's a shiksa. And you know what a shiksa is? The non-Jewish woman. I remember we were walking around before we got married. And I bumped into a guy in here and he said to me, yeah, Oh, I haven't seen you in a while, you know. And then he did a bit of Yiddish, and the word came up. He, he was he was saying to me, uh, he said, uh, you know, uh, is she uh, is she Hamish? And I said, no, no. He said, oh, she exa. So when we walked away, my wife to me said to me, what's a she And I said, oh, so it's a non-Jewish girl, you know. She, said, oh, thank God for that. She said, I thought it was a disease. <laughs>
Got over oh, taken. for God's sake, I've been downhill for years and uh, oh, I used to be like that. In fact, when I first came down, I used to, her uncles and that used to laugh at me, you know, I used to say, auntie, auntie and plaster. Yeah. Right, I'm, I'll let you go. Tell me your name. Lewis, Lewis Cray. Not related to the Crays, I hope. Cousins. Yeah. It's lovely to meet you. And you. I'm 90 and I always make a habit of coming out, whether I need to or not, because I say to myself, it's the road to death, sitting on a couch all day. You get up, I get exercise, I see people, I get about, and uh, in a conversation and my own observations, I keep in trust with what life is doing. That was Salt, Beef and Carrots from the Cherry Tree Chronicles made by me for social broadcasts and Hunt and Darton's Radio Local. If this has wetted your whiskers, you can find more radio podcasts and sound art discoveries. Head to xmtr.fm, a curated sonic storytelling platform made for independent makers, shakers and craftspeople. You can also submit your own work. I'll be back with more audio discoveries in May, but in the meantime... Happy listening.